Our scripture this morning is from Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 to 20. Ma, would you please pray with me? Guide us, O God, by your word and spirit, that in your light we may see light, in your truth find freedom, and in your will discover your peace. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. When Jesus came to the area of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? They answered, Some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, You are blessed, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will have been bound in heaven, and whatever you release on earth will have been released in heaven. Then he instructed his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Am I on? Yep. Okay. Good morning and welcome to North Point again. So I'm glad you're here and... I wish it were better weather this weekend, but oh well. Um, We are glad that there's something else lifting, and that's restrictions, but more to come about that from David. So we have been going through the series on the vertical habits, our connection to God, and how to strengthen those. And so today we're getting to another passage to look at another aspect of it, how we can, uh, how blessing comes through words, truthful words, truthful words spoken Words are foundational, words are key, words are powerful, and they bring blessing if we use them in truth. So the, the words are very important, words are very important to God. As you think about it, the world began when God spoke. He created all things through the spoken word. So words are important. Uh, the disciple John writing last of the gospel writers starts his narrative about Jesus saying, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. And so there's a bigger concept that John is using just than the spoken word, but word as, a, as its own uh, word, <laughs> and the concept of words is very important because they are unique. They're unique to human beings. They are so unique that, actually I was thinking of this morning, I looked on my shelf, my bookshelf, for a a book of quotes from animals, famous animals, you know, quotes. I didn't find one, because animals don't speak. And even if they did, if he had the word meow saying what a cat says, it would have about six pages of possible meanings. We don't know what a cat says when they say that. But 
Anyway, the, it's a unique thing that human beings have is to speak words articulate. It's because we're made in the image of God. And when we speak true words, we're really reflecting his image. So only humans can do that. Even though the heavens declare the glories of God, it says in Psalm 19, he also wants human beings to specifically state his glory. As it says in Psalm 96, 2-4, sing to the Lord, bless his name, proclaim his salvation day after day, declare his glory among the nations. So there's something unique that human beings are supposed to do, and that has to do with using words. So as we get to, so we're going to see today that um, truthful words can bring blessing and bring order out of chaos in life. Truthful words can bring people together to confess and to profess. Truthful words can unlock or unbind problems and stop wrongdoings. Truthful words can be used at the right time to bring blessing in the right season. So as we get into it, let me just set the context of the passage that was read. And, and uh, Daniel read from a New English translation, uh, NET as it's called, which I like better because some of it is, is phrased very well, and particularly the last part where we get to. But here's the context. Jesus has taken the disciples looking for his lost sheep all the way up to the northernmost part of, of the places of Israel, the, the region, even though it was under Roman control. And it was a mixed area. It was mixed pagan, Gentile, and Jewish. So his lost sheep are among them. But he's looking for his lost sheep. And so this northern city of Caesarea Philippi, as it's called, was a bit in confusion. It had a confusing identity. It didn't know who it's, what its name was because it kept changing by politics. First, it had a name associated with the Greek god Pan, so it was a place of worship of pagan idols. It was also then changed to uh, adopting Caesar's name and then Nero. And lastly, now when Jesus is there with the disciples, his name for Philip, one of the sons of Herod, who was known as the Tetrarch, one of the rulers. And so this is a place, and the context I think is very important for what Jesus is going to lead his disciples to do, is to use words to declare his identity and to bring blessing. And so he's brought them to this place where even in that city, I wonder if they're even sitting on a hill overlooking uh, Caesarea Philippi, looking down and you can see this temple to that God, this one to uh, Caesar, the son of God. There was a temple that declared Caesar a son of God, a son, not the big G God, but a God. Uh, all these pagan temples and probably some places of Jewish worship as well. And it's in, important to know the context for his questions. It must have even sparked in his disciples a, a, a question about clarity. And so I wonder if he was really bringing them to this place to, to contrast, to bring this up in their, 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 their mind so they can articulate it. So actually about four years ago, um, back when we had children in nursery, uh, it seems like ages ago, but we were, uh, J.J. Hendricks and I were going out to watch take some kids out to the playground. And so I think it was Theo that she was walking along with, and Theo was on the playground arguing or doing something with a friend fighting over some toy or something. And JJ said something so profound, it, it really stuck me, stuck with me. She said to Theo, use your words, Theo, use your words. And I was like dumbfounded. I'm like, 
man, why didn't anybody tell me that when I was two years old? I would be in so much better shape. I have a hard time as an introvert often expressing myself. So I just thought, That's, that is really powerful to be able to use words. And she was in this constant saying, use words to express what you need. Use words to help solve this conflict. Use words to talk about what's going on. And not just cry or, or, or fight or do something else. But using words can help unbind that situation. So Jesus leads the disciples to this question to get them to articulate something. He says, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And so he's using a term, Son of Man, that's found in the Old Testament. It's used a lot in Ezekiel and Daniel and other places. But it has a connotation of someone who is obviously a human being, but in some way connected to the divine, somehow uh, is a figure that's going to come back at some point, or it looks like he's going to be connected to the Messiah. They weren't sure. Again, there was confusion over the identity of who this Son of Man is. He's going to bring judgment. And so... Jesus actually is identifying himself with the Son of Man by the context. But he wants to know, what's, what's the popular opinion? Guys, you've been around, you've walked around, you've heard, you've been walking with me for a while. What's, what's, what are people saying? So are you, they say, well, it could, you could be John the Baptizer. So the guy who's got his head put back on now and is, and is uh, living again. No, you're Elijah. Maybe that's what people are saying. From Malachi, there's a prophecy about one who will come before the Messiah. There will be Elijah that comes. Uh, are you maybe, they say you're maybe like Jeremiah or one of the other prophets, one of these great preachers of, and teachers, but who was condemning and, and teaching and, and warning of an impending doom. So there's confusion. There's confusion, maybe even not necessarily among the disciples, but they hadn't yet articulated. But he's really asking them, what's going on? What's going on with you guys and the people? But really, it's focused on you guys. So what are you thinking? And so this is one part of this message that it's a little bit tangential, but it's an important part of what we do every week when we meet together, and it should be a part of what we do every day as believers, and that's to confess. He's not just asking them for a confession, because we can see later, earlier in, in the, the sequence of events, Peter, whom we're also following as our model for what it looks like to have this vertical relationship with God, uh, uh, seen through the life of Peter, Peter had a point of confession with his words to Jesus. When he was in the boat and they had caught this tremendous catch of fish, Peter's overawed and he falls down and says, Lord, go away from me, I'm a sinner. You know, I, he recognized something, not just in Christ, but in himself. There was a moment of confession so he used his words to confess. And that is something part of our vertical relationship. When we come into the presence of God, sometimes God is asking us, where are you at? What's going on? You know, kind of give me a, you know, check in with yourself. Tell me what's going on emotionally, physically. What's going on? Are you wrestling with something? Is there something going on? So as we consider that question, maybe we should ask ourselves that regularly. What's going on? Because sometimes we need to be primed to that. And sometimes I myself, when I am, am struggling with words, I turn to the Psalms to find how I feel, how I, where I need to confess, what I need to do. I look at the Psalms. And sometimes it's a Psalm of confession like Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash away my, my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. There are words there that can help us express what we need to express to God. 
And when we express in confession that relationship to God becomes restored, it becomes clear again. I think it actually brings, brings blessing to God and to ourselves. But God is blessed when, when sinners repent, when people come to him in confession. There's a blessing that goes to God as well as comes from God. So there is a blessing when we use words to confess because it restores a relationship. And it brings clarity out of the confusion, which is really the context. In my life, I was about 20, almost 21 years old when I was seeing a young lady and we were, she, life was changing for, in, her thing, in her life. Things were changing because she was becoming a follower of Christ, becoming a Christian. And as we were having these deep discussions, God had primed me to be in this position because had, I had heard other things before this and, and I was wrestling with some issues. And when she one day pointed her finger almost at me, but in, in words she said this, who do you think Jesus is? And I was floored. I was like, well, that's easy. I've said this words all the time in my, my life in church, you know, and you know, yeah, he's the son of God. But then it really hit me and I was like, do I really know what that means? I don't know. But this whole encounter that we had using words started a breaching a dam that had 20 years of sin built up in it. It was a crack, a hairline crack that began to leak. And by the end of that weekend, I was in tears. We were weeping together, trying to figure out, I was trying to figure out, what do I do with life now? I, my I really don't know the answer to this question of who is Jesus. I don't even know who God is. So can I please borrow your Bible? And so I did. And I borrowed her Bible and I started reading at Genesis. Um, not a bad place to start, but I got to maybe Leviticus or Numbers before I realized there was a New Testament. And I actually found the words of Jesus, which happened to be in red letter. And those words brought me immediate comfort because I realized this is somebody who's been seeking me this far, thus far in my life. And so I found salvation through that, through his words. And so Jesus is now bringing this story of the disciples. He wants them to make it personal now. So he's using, again, questions. But who do you say that I am? Now, actually, I didn't understand this until I started reading this text, in the, looking at it in Greek and looking at commentaries. He's using a plural you. He's asking all the disciples, who do you as a group who's followed me thus far, who do you say that I am? And Peter, being the spokesperson, I guess, he's or the quickest to react, he answers that question. What is, he, what is Jesus asking him to process? Well, he's saying, look at all the evidence. You've come this far. Now, I looked, at all, I, I looked it up to find out how many miracles Jesus did that are recorded. And so there's at least 37 incidences of miracles, walking on water, healings, casting out demons, water to wine, etc. But many of those involve thousands of people. And when it says that there was, he, Jesus healed everybody that was there, that must have been hundreds. So they've seen hundreds of miracles, thousands being fed. What's your conclusion thus far, guys? Where are you at? What's going on? And Peter responds with, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, and Jesus answered him, you are blessed. You are blessed. Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. That's a Holy Spirit-empowered answer that he gave, but based on all the things he had witnessed, all the things he had, they had seen, and 
I think it was representative of the group, though obviously one of them, Judas Iscariot, had a different understanding and wasn't ready to keep following that truth. Did Peter understand immediately everything he was saying? Was he saying, uh, as we understand now, all the repercussions of calling Jesus the Son of God? I doubt it, but it was a marker in saying, okay, that term used in the Old Testament just briefly, and my connection to being God, I'm going to help work that out. Jesus hadn't, uh, Peter hadn't yet seen, the disciples hadn't yet seen the death and resurrection, nor the ascension of Jesus to heaven. And so there was a lot more that had to go with that term before he understood it fully, but he makes a profession of faith, not in complete understanding, but enough understanding of faith to say, yeah, I believe it. We believe it. And this is where we could preach a whole different message about what does it mean that you are, what he next is saying, church history has turned on that, this section of scripture, and yes, I am going to skip over it. No, I'm not going to skip over all of it, but I'm not going to go into all the details because that's not what we're looking at. We're looking at a vertical relationship with God that we're focusing on by using words, and Peter came into that if he wasn't already in a vertical relationship with God, the disciples used their words to describe what is our relationship. I believe. I believe you are the Son of God, the Messiah. So, pretty astounding statement. Out of that confusion, or at least maybe it wasn't confusion among the disciples, but there was certainly clarity now. He knew where they stood. The truth of what he had all done and what he had been talking about thus far was getting through. Those words and his deeds put together made an impact to come to this conclusion. So, profession. He makes a profession. So that is one of the other vertical habits. When we profess things that are true about God, we bless ourselves. It says that Simon Peter was blessed when he made this statement. Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. So we are blessed when we state things that are true, when we quote the Psalms or other parts of Scripture that are true about God. Sometimes, and God knows this, we need to profess truth. We need to profess in faith to strengthen our faith the things that are true. He's asked many times in the Old Testament, he, he even reveals himself as the God who did this, this, and this in history of you people, my people Israel. Remember, that's me. Those are good things that I did. When we state truth, we profess and we strengthen our faith. I am the Lord God who brought you out of Egypt, as it says, Exodus 20. So when we practice the profession of faith, professing, we get blessing, and it strengthens our faith. And so the disciples knew where they stood. It was, as about to say, it's a foundational thing in the life of Peter and in the new community that's coming. And next he says, Jesus says to Peter, and I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. The foundation of the new community is going to be connected to what just happened, to what just got said. And it's also a corporate thing. And I realized that when I was looking at this and saying, he's talking to all the disciples. They're all going to be individual stones in the church. They're part of the foundation. And it's a community that's professing this. And that's why we come together as a community to together profess on a Sunday and hopefully whenever else we get together. We profess what is true. 
we reaffirm it by hearing it from other people, by hearing it in song, by hearing it from the word. We're confessing and professing at the same time of this is true, and it strengthens our faith. And the things that, that Jesus continues to tell them is related now shifting to the community. And he's talking about the church that is built on this foundation of this confession. And he says, the gates of Hades will not overpower it. When we profess truth, it has power. It's unstoppable. When Jesus himself was tempted, he quoted scripture. He quoted words of God back to the enemy. When Jesus is saying the, what is going to happen in the church in its continued profession based on this foundation, of which there is only one, the gates of hell, death itself will not stand. That's a pretty big claim. He hadn't proved it yet, but it's coming. So the power of the words of life that Jesus gives are going to be, and that the church holds, are the power of life, the keys, which is the next thing he gets to. It's unstoppable. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Those are truthful words that bring blessing, not just to uh, an individual in his corporate, but also to others who hear it. So the keys of the kingdom, it's a, it's a using these words in the present, truthful words about God in the presence of others is like opening the door of truth to other people. Peter got to use those keys when after Pentecost, which we just celebrated, which was full of words as well, that was a bit confusing until there was clarification that, Jesus, uh, that Peter used his words. And he got up and he said, Brothers and sisters, he says, then Peter stood up the 11, with the eleven, so they're all there. He raised his voice and addressed the crowd, said, fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I have to say. And then he went into a long explanation, but understanding, using words to bring truth. So those words of proclamation are his witness. And he's unlocking the door, he's unlocking the door, the that, he had un, that Jesus helped him unlock before. Now he's using those keys to unlock the kingdom of heaven to all those who were gathered there. And it says 3,000 were entered the church that, or became uh, followers that day. So the vertical habits of words involves witness. It involves confessing, it in, in, in involves professing, and involves witness. So we have... When we say truth in front of others about God, it's a witness. And when we live it. And actually, you can see by the end in, of the book of the New Testament, in Revelation 12, 11 says, note the, the role of words here. It says, Revelation 12, 11, they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb, that's what Jesus did, and by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives so as to shy away from death. So, Jesus' blood, their testimony, and their continued action of following, even willing to be martyred, was the testimony, was the truth, the profession, and witness. So truthful words bring life to others. They're the key. And truthful words, lastly, have to be spoken in season. Because this section ends with whatever you bind... Oh, sorry, wait a minute, one more. Truthful words are, are wisdom, our wisdom, and this is the next part, is really the most confusing part, and I didn't, I had to, I read it in NET. 
when I was a new student at seminary more than 10 years ago, starting Greek, reading through the book of, in one of the, the little uh, devotionals almost at the beginning of each chapter, there was an explanation of what these verses mean in Greek. What I'm about to read, it says, whatever you bind on earth will have been bound in heaven, and whatever you release on earth will have been bound in heaven. In other versions of scripture, it talks about what you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, what you loose on earth will be bound in heaven. This translation, and he says, whatever you bind on earth will have been bound. Will have been bound. That's complicated. It's Greek. And so when I read that, I realized, oh, I, now I get understanding of what this really means. It's talking about something different than I... Th it's obviously not that whatever I decide as a Christian, that's true. No, that's, that can't be it. Whatever I decide, no, that doesn't make any sense. So binding and loosing in the context that, that, of, uh, that Jesus was living talks about religious rules and obligations, laws and duties, procedures, how the community is going to function together, <clears throat> how they're supposed to love each other. There's a new order of things that Jesus has already instituted because he said, I give you uh, a new commandment I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you also must love one another. Love God and love your neighbor. This, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So he's given a new commandment. There's, some, there's something new out there, and it takes a lot of wisdom to understand what those words mean and how's that going to work. So he's giving them, he's going to give them wisdom to understand what has been in heaven is now going to be mirrored on earth. He's telling them, you're not going to make up, you're not going to define, you don't get to uh, determine what is true, you're going to discern what is true from what is in heaven. It, that's what it'll be on earth. So let me give you an example, it's easier to see that way. Um, relating to how we in the church are going to live together in the kingdom. First, Acts 10, Peter again, when he encounters this uh, this God-fearing Gentile, Cornelius, in Acts 10, and, he, and, and Cornelius has come to faith, <clears throat> and, and he has not been a God-seeker, he, well, he has been a God-seeker, but not a proselyte, so he has done nothing according to the Jewish law, and Peter declares, now I understand that God shows no favoritism. He's saying something that he now discerns because of what God has done, that is true, that it doesn't matter if you're circumcised, it doesn't matter if you keep the law. And even though Peter said that, and it had to go before the court in Jerusalem, and they, they also ratified that same conclusion. It wasn't until Acts 15, years later, when they had a large following of Gentiles who were coming to faith, and they had to make decisions about, okay, all these Gentiles are not Jews. How are we going to incorporate them in the community? They had to make decisions about binding and loosing. They had to discern what was God's will in these matters, and they made a wise decision to say it doesn't God is not a respecter of one's former religion. He doesn't show favoritism. But there are a few rules we want you to file, little guidelines so that we can have good fellowship with each other. And they gave them, uh, they, they came up with some things that the community would be advised to follow. And certainly some of those were enduring and some weren't. But he's given the community wisdom how to set guidelines and boundaries of how we're going to live together, how we're going to work together, how this church is going to go forward. But it's not because you determine it. It's already determined in heaven. You just have to discern it and enact it. And the last thing he's going to give is wisdom. Those truthful words bring wisdom. 
that they have a season. Because the last verse says, then he instructed the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Christ. Wait a minute, Rob, you just said we're supposed to witness and speak truth. But why does Jesus tell them to not go out and do that? Well, because it's not the season for it. As David spoke a couple weeks ago uh, about uh, not everything that he, Jesus had earlier instructed one of the, the lepers who had been healed to not go back to his village or not go out and tell everybody, and he did anyway. So there's a time and a season for truthful words as well. And Jesus knew if they started talking about it openly, it would pre, it's premature. It would abort something that is bigger that he wanted to get, that he has to do. And the people weren't ready for it. There was more information, more demonstration, more proclamation that they needed to understand before the community, the larger community, would be ready, recognize what's going on, that he is the Messiah. And he had to die and resurrect again before they were probably going, mostly going to be ready. So there's wisdom when we speak truthful words. And when we speak words out of season, they can hurt. And they're wrong. And we can mess things up. But there's the, we fall back on the other vertical habits of confession and professing what is true and listening in discernment to words when the right time to speak words is. So this is the practice, the practices of vertical habits that we're going over is involves words. So Peter was first in being blessed and first in confession and God used him as a witness and as a, and a discerner of truth. But also, just a few verses later, we see Peter stumbling greatly. He used his words in the wrong way. He stumbled right away and said, uh, when Jesus talked about going to the cross and to his death, Peter rebuked him and saying, no, no, you're not going to have to do that. I don't want you. And he said, get behind me, Satan. So Peter is, is true words and sometimes not so true. But his life is a testimony of God's mercy and grace that he doesn't, we don't always get it right. In the vertical relationship, his relationship with God had to be repaired at several times. When he, had, when he declared three times on the night Jesus was betrayed that uh, I don't know him, that had to be repaired through confession or at least and repentance. So God's not asking for perfection. He's asking for a relationship to live in the mercy and grace of Jesus. So our relationship with God grows vertically when we tell the truth. It brings blessing to God, to us, to others. So we tell the truth to confess to God and restore our relationship. We tell the truth to profess aloud and strengthen our faith and to bless ourselves. And we tell the truth in witness to the community so that we can share it together. And when we do that, it, it's like keys of life opening the door for others and advances the kingdom. So I try to practice it daily. I try to work on it. I definitely need it daily, the confession part. I need the truth and my, to be strengthened daily from the word as I read that. And I need to practice more, saying it more vocally, unashamedly in front of others who may not believe the same. But in practicing that discernment always to know when the right season to say the right words are. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you that we gather together to confess our sins, to profess faith in who you are, and that things are true, that you have been true in our lives and you are true for everyone. Lord, when we speak truthful words and that you give us wisdom 
when we talk to each other and we discern what is your will, we want to reflect what is on earth. We want on earth to be as it is in heaven. Lord, we want things the way you want them to be. Help us to discern that. Lord, we want to advance your kingdom too through the words that are spoken. May they be truthful, not hurtful. Lord, give us this, continue to give us this day as our daily bread. And we, may your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name.